So, welcome to this week's Echo Chamber, and we've got another great one for you. It's a two-parter, and um, you know, let's start with off as we do with a look at the UK box office top ten and the third to fifth of December. Okay, so at number ten is um Diesel Yeah, this is as you can tell, it's a horror film. People, I think it might be over. Um, yeah, it's directed by Maria Sadowska. Uh, written by Piotr Kizak and Nila. That's all I know. <laughs> that, that's all I know, people. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, these, these, um, you know what I mean? For a month, I will give you that. Uh, at number nine, at number nine is June. One, Dennis Builder's monster sci-fi adaptation, written by John Sapphires, Dennis Builder, and Eric. I mean, people, if you haven't seen it by now. Which means at number eight, I think this is a good one, right? It's Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. So, this is uh, carried by Johannes Roberts, who also wrote this. And uh, yeah, it's got a you know, cast, right? Kaya, um, Robbie Amel, Hannah John Cable, Neil McDowell, Tom Cooper. Yeah, all these people get it doing their thing. So we then go to number seven, and we had Boxing Day. So, um, yeah, this is from Amil Amen, who, um, you know, has been in a few films, acting wise, that we've spoken about over the past few weeks. He wrote a piece with Bruce Purnell. Um, yeah, and they also stars in it with um, Jasmine Monet Prince, H. and Naomi King, um, Marianne Gina Baptiste, Claire Skinner. I mean, I hate Christmas films. I may give it a go, though, right? I may give it a go, show some support, you know what I mean? At number six, people, he's still holding on. It's no time to die. And we 
James Bond entry from Carrie Edgeway Sorry, Anna and they are last. They are Ralph Fiennes, Remy Malik, Christopher Waltz, Ben Wilshaw, Naomi Harris, Jeffrey Wright, Lashana Lynch, and Daniel Craig. Which means at number five this week is Eternal, the latest big bash in the MCU. So this is from director Chloe Zhao. She wrote it along with Patricia Burley and Ryan Rush. So uh, there you have that one. So at number four is something Christmas with pieces of magic, which I can only imagine is get some beer to pick, right? But yeah, I I know people. At number three, though, it's Ghostbusters Afterlife from Jason Reitman, who wrote it along with Gil Kennan and Dan Aykroyd, starring Finn Wolfhard, um, McKenna Grace, Carrie Coons, Sigourney Weaver, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Ernie Hudson. At number two this week, people, is Encanto. Um, yeah, the top, the top two is basically the same as last week. So this is directed by Jared Bush, Byron Howard, and Christy Castro-Smith. Um, it is written by Bush, Smith, and Lydia Manuel Madrida. So, uh, yeah. You know, which means at number one again, it is the new Ridley Ridley Scott joint. It's House of Gucci, and this one is written by Becky Johnson, Roberto Burles, and Sarah Gay. Okay, so sorry, Selma Hyatt, Adam Driver, Charity, Al Lady Gaga, and Jeremy Irons. So, people, that is it. That's our top 10 films in the UK. So, are you ready for our reviews this week? Let's go, people. Work it. Okay, people, are you ready to get things popping with our first film of the week? It is a new Shudder original. It's Death Valley, people. Okay, people, so we have a new horror coming to Shudder, and it is called Death Valley. Definitely an ominous name, right? I'm not sure the name reflects the film. It's not, I don't know. It's not essentially about a valley. (laughs) There is death though. There is definitely death involved 
people. All right, so, um, hey, the film is written and directed by Matthew Nimbar. Now, you may remember that name because, oh, the Maddie boy was behind Psycho Gorman and that, oh, that was so much fun, right? That was so much fun. Now, this film is a bit of a Nimbar, <laughs> it's a bit of a Nimbar affair. Like, it, I think every member of the clan has, is, is working on this film in some way or another, which, hey, I respect the fuck out of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it is produced by Matthew, along with Chad Archibald and Cody Canahan. And you remember Cody from um, The Oak Room, right? Remember that one? How great that was. And... Um, Vicious Fun, another great one. Uh, Patrick Everlad, Ira Levy, and Michael McGuyan, executive produce. The music is from Sean Crowley. Cinematography is Brent Treeman. Um, Nimba as well handles the editing. Makeup, we've got... Um, Melissa Joy Burger, Anna Hans, Chloe Housley, Special Makeup, Audrey Barrett and Chris Nash. Production, um, Jacqueline Nimba, see another one up in the mix, and Mac Aylesley. Sound was handled by Tim Clemens, uh, Robin Elliott and George Flores. Uh, Justin Moses to, uh, looks after all the stunts. Um, yeah, we, we have a couple of Nimbars, Bunny and a Rider. Also, um, you know, taking care of photography and other things on the set, along with David Reynolds and Tyler Garton. So our cast, well, we've got Jeremy Nimbar as Beckett. His wife is played by Jacqueline Nimbar. Um, she's Rachel. I wonder if they're actually married in real life. I mean, that'd be cute, right? Um, now, Beckett, his partner is Marshall, played by Ethan Mitchell. Um, another one of their compadres is Jessica, played by Melissa Joy. Borga, um, yeah, who else is, but you, you see that, like, everyone's working on different elements of the film, and, uh, you know, I mean, that's always great, you know, I mean, I think it builds a camaraderie, camaraderie, I feel that's the word, um, and they, they're trying to save Chloe, played by Kirsten Caster, um, but Olek is trying to stop him. He's played by Matt Dakowi. I think that's how you say it. Um, Matthew also, um, Matthew Nimba, he also plays um, the monster. And um, another Nimba, Mike, he's um, one, of the, one of the mobsters up in the piece. 
Okay, so um, the gist of the film, people, it's this. Um, a group of battle-weary guns for hire are commissioned to rescue an imprisoned scientist from a, from a secret Cold War, Cold War bunker. Upon entering the facility, they find themselves in a fight for survival when they come under attack from a um, terrifying creature of unknown origin. Yeah, that, yeah, you know what I mean? It's definitely um, something you're not expecting, right? <laughs> you take a mission and everything goes to hell. Um, now, as I said, look, not so much set in a valley. But there is a there is a lot of action and we get it we get it from the jump but the scene is set straight away because we have um yeah we have people running down a tunnel we have them running down a tunnel and then you know lights flashing you know those danger lights flashing and it's just like yeah you know but the doors are getting closed Doors are getting closed, and there's a guy at the end shooting at them. And you're like, uh, what, what's happening here? Right? Because you're kind of, because it's like, warning, warning. <laughs> you know what I mean? The place is going to be secure. You're thinking, these people could make it. Why are they getting shot at? Right? But there's not really any explanation. So you are intrigued from the jump. We then jump into a, a conversation between uh, Rachel and Beckett. You know, she's pregnant. She's setting up a, well, trying to set up a crib. And um, you know something's awry, right? Because Beckett, he's, uh, yeah, he's a little sheepish on the phone. You know, it's that one more mission. We need it, babes. It, it, it's all of that. But there is a, there are those things dropped in the conversation that aren't necessarily that subtle, right? It gives you a good indication of where this film is going and what's going to happen. As well as the following conversation between Beckett and Marshall, right? Things are said. Things are um, suggested, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you just think about yourself, right? It's just certain things where you'd be like, okay, okay. As soon as you hear certain lines like that, right, you, you know there's going to be a moment. There's going to be a situation later on in the film. So we get all of this. Um, so they, they go on this mission. Right, they go on this mission, and uh, you know we we learn some other stuff about our our crew, um, which it I mean it doesn't really impact the film in any way. Like there is a moment later on which is definitely fueled from this, but you know it doesn't essentially do much, but. Yeah, so they, they turn up and, you know, 
it's not going to be a straightforward mission. And it kind of goes pair up, pair up, pair up. There, that's, that is an expression. I don't know why I doubt myself sometimes, but yeah, it goes pairs up, pairs pair up. I'm not sure if it is, people, but I feel you know what I'm talking about, right? It's a messy situation from giddy up, right? But you are kind of looking at it and like, hmm, <laughs> these are meant to be mercenaries. And from the sound of it, they've had plenty of missions. They don't really act. <laughs> you know, like the, this savvy crew of um, killers, right? And also, they're not really outfitted because I'm thinking, where's the Kevlar bed? Where's the, you know, the armor, right? Kevlar. Uh, like, it, it, it's not a crazy thing anymore. So you kind of figure... Most mercenary groups would be equipped, right? They would be protecting their shit. And you're picking up weapons, right? Especially from your team. You're picking up weapons and you're picking up, um, what do you call it? The, the extra bullet thingy thing, the clip. Clips. That's it. You're picking up clips. So, you know, we, we do wonder about, about these mercenaries sent to save the day, you know? And then th there's also this other thing of, well, you know, you'll, you'll see. You'll see once you watch it. But once we're in, you know, because we get a lot of action outside, but once we're in the bunker, it, it definitely goes a little crazy from there. And we get a feel of, um, oh gosh, what was that other film that we um, watched recently up on the old Shudder? Uh, I believe it was Super Deep. Super Deep, I think that was the film, right? Yes, Super Deep, right? So we get a kind of feel of that underneath, you know, it's all dark lighting, it's all a little creepy and eerie and you're wondering what's around the corner and all of this. Early on, we do see our monster. We do see, well, I guess, one of our monsters. And it is very creepy-esque. Now, it does have vibes of, like, alien, um, I'd say pinhead, right? It's got a kind of, that kind of vibe to it as this weird formed monster. And um, maybe the thing as well, right? So we see this. Now, there are questions. Because also, with what we see in this first instant, you do wonder about later on. Because it doesn't necessarily make any sense once you find out stuff, right? So there is that. And there are a few things, right? We do fall into, I think, the, the trappings of kind of this sort of film. Where information is held back. You know, and, and you kind of wonder... 
why would you hold back that information? Right? Then it, it made no difference if you tell someone here or now. Also, <laughs> right? When they, you know them films, and everyone's like, oh, we need to be quiet so we don't attract anyone. But they're never quiet, right? They have loud conversations. They're like, Steve! 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 Over it! And you're like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> Firstly, you're making noise. Secondly, you're letting people know where you are. <laughs> you know, what the fuck? So you get stuff like that, you know? Or there's a point where someone records a message on a tape recorder and you wonder, wait, why? But then the tape recorder goes off and you're like, how the fuck is the tape? What are you doing? You know what I mean? There's, there's a lot of baffling things when you kind of consider, as I said, look, these are meant to be a group of well-oiled mercenaries. Well, I mean, with a lot of missions under their belt, right? They do not act like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? They put themselves in stupid-ass situations and also, doors. You kind of figure you would shut every single door or crevice in this situation. And they only, we only see them shut two doors towards the end. And you're like, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, huh? Um, now, yes, it is goofy. But if you just want an action flick, right? Some mindless action, then this works for you on that level, I would say. The end, I'm not sure if the end made a whole heap of sense, considering what we, we learn, right? But, eh, you know, one, once we get to this point, and there's been a lot of other stuff we've seen, you think, I fine. I'm fine. Like it opens things up to a possible sequel, I would say. Um, but if you but if there isn't one, it's fine as well. You know, it's not a crazy ending where you're like, but we need to, you know what I mean? It's just like, all right, yeah, that's fun. You know what I mean? Um, is that also there's that weird thing about fights, and you're like, where would someone learn that? <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> because I don't think they were, they were running tutorials. <laughs> They're like, where are they learning all of this shit? But yeah, no. Death Valley, it's goofy. And I would say it is, it's not up to the same par as um, Diokram or Vicious Fun or Psycho Gorman. But if you just want um, a bit of a fun romp, then, you know, you could do worse, I feel. And yeah, it's on Shudder, people. So, uh, you know, go check it out. Okay, so next up, we've got a remake of a classic horror. It is time for some slumber massacre action. Okay, people, so Coming to Shudder is um, a remake, right? It's a remake of 
which at the time was meant to be a parody itself, but the Slumber Party Massacres. Okay, so the original film dropped in 1982. You know, it was... Um, Directed by Amy Holden Jones and written by Rita May Brown. And yeah, as I said, look, that film was meant to be a parody of slasher films. So kind of the original scream or the original scary movie. But for some reason or not, they didn't end up shooting it like that. And the film itself you know, spawned two sequels. So, um, Danishka Estenhazy and Susan Kelly decided to bring this back to life. You know, with Eskeny directing and Kelly writing this, uh, this remake of a cult horror favourite. It is produced by Adam Friedlander, Samantha Levin, and Tibugu Malia. Cinematography is handled by Trevor Calvary. It's edited by David Treval. Music was from Andreas Smith. Um, and the film is starring... Hannah Goria as Dana Duval. Um, her mother, Trish, is played by, well, at the start, is played by Mazeli Baduza and then Shailene Bennett. Um, we've got Diane's friends, Dana's friends. So there's Maeve, played by Francis Charlotte Douglas, Brianne Brianni, played by Alex McGregor, Ashley, played by Rez Tiana Wesleys, and her sister Alex, played by Mila Rain. Um, there's also Russ Fawn. Played by Rob Van Vuren. His mother Jackie. Played by Jane DeWitt. Um, we have Kim. Played by Reem Koza. Uh, Diane. Played by Larissa Crawford Lazarus. Kay. Played by Jennifer Shen. So they're, they're uh, Trish's friends. From the beginning of the film. Um, then there are the boys. So there's John played by Michael Lawrence Potter, Chad played by Arthur Falco, Sean played by Nathan Castle, Matt played by Eden Eden Classens, Guy played by Richard White, Guy 2 played by Breeden Byes. And Dave, played by Richard Wright Firth. Okay, so the gist is this. In 1993, Trish Devereux was the only survivor of a massacre when she stopped Russ Form, a psychopath with a power drill. 
during a slumber party in Hollow Springs. Nearly three decades later, Trish's daughter Dana is off to a girls weekend with friends, Ashley, Maeve and Breeny. Maeve's sister Alex stows away and is eventually accepted to join them. Their car breaks down and the girls are forced to go to the same campground, renamed Jolly Springs, where Trish encountered Russ Vaughan. History soon is set to repeat itself when Dana and the girls decide to have their slumber party at the cabin. So this is... You know, it, it, it's been created as a uh, feminist reboot, as it were. Um, you know, with an all-female principal cast. Yeah, that, that, that's what they're looking to do. You know, even though the original was kind of, it's kind of that. But as I said, look, things change slightly in the making. So, yeah, they, they decided to, uh, you know, follow it all the way through this time out. And, yeah, like, if you've watched, you know, Scream and, you know, Scary Movie, not another, Scary Movie, not another Scary Movie, something like that, right? If, you, if you've watched those films, enjoyed those films, then, yeah, you'll understand what they're doing here. Right, there's a lot of close-up work to really bring the tension. And they play on that a lot at the start, right? There's, there's a lot of tension, a lot of false jumps, false scares, right? To lull you into that false sense of security, which, you know, it's played very well. Played very well. Um. The film, you know, we get past the <coughs> Oh my days. Excuse me, people. Oh my days. Um yeah, we get past the first incident out our, our, our 1992 situation. And then as we jump forward, well, you kind of realize what's happening. You know, the mother, her daughter. And, yeah, I think you can see where this is going, right? It is predictable, but it's still kind of fun, right? And that's because they're really playing up the situation and how they changed it, right? Um, you know, they have the girls knowing about the whole situation from a podcast, and, yeah, it, it becomes something slightly different. You know what I mean? Something slightly different. And you, you kind of see what they've done. And it's like, yeah, all right, I see that. I see that. Now, they then bump into a group of boys who have also been listening to this podcast and wanted to come to experience you know they've done this ghost tour and all of this and uh yeah they then play the boys as if these were girls 
in a like 60s, 70s, 80s horror film. You know what I mean? Helpless, silly, doing stupid things. And it, it's it's that role reversal thing, right? So you've got the boys. Uh, remember um, Zoolander and the petrol fight, right? We get a similar scene, not with petrol, <laughs> not with petrol, but yeah, we get this similar scene. It, it's silly, it's stupid, it makes no sense, right? It makes no sense, but it's playing on those things, right? Because usually in a film like this, you've got scantily clad girls jumping around you know, play fighting, just being dumb, right, so instead of, although, you know, they put the girls in their nightwear, it, it's the guys who they really objectify, as it were, <laughs> you know what I mean, like, there's, there's no nudity apart from a guy in a shower, Right, so they they shoot and they do what they would have done with the girl, you know, slow motion, music, close-ups, fadeaways, you know, steam and all of this, right? Because they're really playing up this thing, which it it's silly, but it works, right? Now they did, I think they jumped the shark a few times. Right, there's a point where one of the guys goes, oh, I would do that, but my toxic masculinity makes me want to do this. And it's just like, hey, yeah, you don't need to spell it out like that. We, we understand what you're doing. And it's, and it's silly, it's fine. But when you're really just being like, look at this. Toxic masculinity, sexism, blah, blah, blah. It, it then ruins the flow of the film. You know what I mean? And it, and it takes you out of this silliness. And it's just like, ah, do we, do we have to do this? Right? Why are we trying to make these statements? When the film is doing it on its own, right? What they were trying to say is evident. It's clear a bozo, maybe not a bozo, but most people will be able to follow and understand, oh, they're flipping it, they're flipping it, right, but yeah, there's those moments when they really felt, we need to vocalise this thing, which they didn't, because it was clear, it was clear with the scene, you know, and the vocalisation kind of just steps on it, right, kind of steps on it, it's one of those ones where, you know, someone tells a joke and everyone's laughing, and then they try and get that extra laugh and say something else, and it's just like, hey, you're going fucked up, son, you should have left, you should have standard it, you feel me, so, yeah, they, they do that two, three times, but, you know, it, it, it it's quick enough that you know let me get back in let me get back into the flow of this shit so yeah you you can enjoy it now 
you do feel like they they kind of came to a conclusion pretty quick, but then we get like the next part of this kind of adventure. And yeah, I think the next the the, the last third of the film does add that extra oomph to the story. It it adds because before that it's a little too clean. It's a little too clean. So this muddies it up a bit. It fucks it up. And that's decent. That's the that's really what it needed for you to be like, yeah, no, that was I. That was I. You know what I mean? Um although again, right, I, I think because you could see what they were doing with the film, the last bird, yeah, you, you probably figure out how they're going to then flip it. And you can guess, you know, the peoples and all of this kind of thing. You can guess it. But it, it's still not done too badly. And then at the very end, you know the end is going to come, right? You, you know because we've kind of, Man, look, we've seen it somewhere. Try, try to remember the film. We've seen this kind of little thing happen, but I can't think of it. But it's not a bad take. Now, Shudder, you know what I mean? They, they did a little slumber story in um, Scare Package, right? It was Scare Package, and it was, oh, gosh, it was Hillary and her sister, um... Gosh, who's her sister? It's the Angbar sisters, right? Um, fuck, I'm trying to remember their names. Uh, Courtney, yes, Hillary and Courtney, Andrew, Andrew Jar, sorry, Andrew Jar, right? They told a really good slumber party story in, yeah, the, the anthology scare package, which if you haven't watched, check it out. And it's on Shudder, people, so you can enjoy that. Um, but yeah, this, it, it, it's um, different, different to their one. Um, but it's not bad. Like, this isn't bad. It, it does, like, it, it, it does what they intended it to do. You can see that, look, they, they wanted to make a feminist horror film, which, you know, all power to them. It's fine. Right. I mean, as I said, look, they, they forced an issue a few times, which yeah, they didn't really need to do. It did muddy it up a little bit. It did, you know, mess the flow slightly. But it's still not bad. It's still not bad. Yeah. If you like parodies, if you like, as I said, look, Scream and Scary Movie. You know, all of them ones, them. Then I think you would probably enjoy this. You know, as long as you you just don't hate all things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Left and feminism. Then it might irritate you slightly. But if, if you're good to go with the flow, then the Slumber Party Massacre, I think that might be something for you people. I think it might well be something for you. And, right, the, the good news is, so this drops on Monday the 13th 
of December. Uh, and it will be coming out on DVD in the UK on the 10th of January. Um, I'm not quite sure on the US release dates yet, people. But if we figure it out, you'll find it in the episode details. Okay? But yeah, it's going to be available from all your usual favorite DVD, D bleh, VODs. All right? So yeah, if you want a little horror fun, then, you know, the Slumber Party Massacres may very well be that fun for you. Okay, and now, people, it's a new joint from Lionsgate. It's Jesus, well, D-Jesus music. All right, people, so I've just found myself watching a film that I, you know what I mean? Normally, uh, yeah, it, it wouldn't have drawn me to go see it at the cinema, but... Right, here's the thing. Whenever Lionsgate hit me, I'm I'm always gonna take a look because you know they've just been mad helpful and and, and people are so nice there, right? So, but sometimes you think I don't know, am I gonna like this? But I I recognize a few of the people mentioned, and I was like, I know this stuff, right? Like, yeah. And I was just curious. So I am talking about the Jesus music, right? Which, um, yeah, it, <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting documentary. It really is, right? It's uh, 108 minutes, you know what I mean? So an hour and 48 minutes. But it is compelling. I'm not going to lie, right? So it is directed by Andrew and John Irwin, their brothers. You know, John, he wrote the screenplay. It's produced by Brandon Gregory and Josh Walsh. Christopher Kremlin handled the cinematography. Parker Adams and John Puckett edited the piece. And, um, yeah, the... The, the, the gist, well, I mean, firstly, let, let's, uh, you know, because it features people such as um, Amy Grant, right? Amy Grant is there. We've got um, Toby Mack. Uh, as I say, a lot of these people I did not know, right? I, I did, I had no clue who um, some of these were, but I knew who Amy Grant was, you know, I've enjoyed Amy Grant's stuff, so yeah, um, Michael K, Michael W. Smith, Laura um, Daigle, Kirk Franklin, um, yeah, Michael Taff, right, um, Larange, Larac, no, Larac, sorry, Larac, CC Wynan. So, yeah, it, it's, it's featuring all of these artists. And, um, yeah, the, the, the gist of the piece 
is um, is this, right? The film documents the history of contemporary Christian music from its roots in the Jesus music of the 1970s through the Christian rock and Christian metal eras of the 80s and 90s into the rise of praise and worship music in the early 21st century. Um, and yeah, you know, so um, also, uh, they, yeah, there was Stephen Curtis Chapman, um, Toby McKeenan, um, Russ Taff. Yeah, they're, they're all featured in this piece. And what was interesting was, right, so they were talking about, you know, it, it started off with a few people saying, you know, where they first kind of discovered the music. You know, Amy Grant said in uh, a coffee shop, uh, someone else said, I think it was Taft said in, uh, you know, he was looking at a record shop and he found a record. Right. So, yeah, it's just talking about that. And then we got into um, the kind of beginning of it all. And so a few people were just talking and they were saying that, you know, so the, the hippie movement started and, you know, it was people rebelling against the American dream because they they perceived it not really being a dream. Right. It, it was something they didn't want. And that was Vietnam. Right. So there was all of this stuff. But but, you know, people didn't like hippies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um and the church didn't want hippies, but there was then one place, Calvary, right, in Costa Mesa, the Calvary Chapel. And they were just like, yeah, well, anyone can come there, whatever. You know, there was a there was a hippie who had started to preach there. He'd found God. You know, one of the other preachers there, a bald dude, he, he was giving out messages. And people just kind of resonated with it flooded there and there's a lot of musicians so the music started and what was interesting was it was just like it was a tribe right so the the hippie movement that's a tribe right the the, the, the church became a tribe it, it was these people looking for something you know, looking for the answers because they didn't want to go to war. They were just like, what's going on? You know, everything is kind of crazy. And, you know, they were like, oh, we tried to escape in drugs. We, we were looking for these answers in drugs. But the um, there was a Rolling Stones concert, which was a little bit of a crazy situation. I, I think eight people died, right? And then people are like, ah, maybe this isn't the way. So, yeah, that's when they started going to this church. And, you know, as I said, look, it, it, it's a tribe. It, you know, everyone's looking for identity. And they, they couldn't find it in one place. And they're like, oh, maybe here, right? Maybe this will work. And so you saw people then just gravitating, gravitating to this church, you know, looking for answers and everything like that. 
but no one wants to no one like talked about it like that. It was just like, yeah, we were looking for answers and then we found them and it was here and we felt like we were saved. And which hey, if that works for you, all power to you, man. That's golden. You know what I mean? Because essentially people just want to belong, right? People want to belong. People want to feel accepted. And if that worked for these people, it's great. What was interesting was, you know, they were, they were talking and saying that, you know, there was a band and they, they wanted to play um, music, right? But at first, some of the pastor was just like, ah, you know, we, we kind of rock music in here, which is kind of crazy just in that sense to say no right but he he was like oh let me just hear some songs anyway and he loved the song so he's like all right you can play and it then kind of spawned from there and i say it's kind of crazy because of this right because the church always talks about acceptance but no rock Right, and and that, that's the crazy thing because a lot of the stuff talked about in here, it was about not being accepted, judgment. And I isn't isn't that the opposite of what this should be? That was the the really weird thing about all of this. There, there was this talk about. Oh yeah, they, this wasn't accepted, and they turned on this artist because they were doing this. And you're like, wait, what? No, that's that's weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's so weird. Right? It makes no sense. There was a band called um, Strike, Strike, Stripe, Strife, Strife or Strike, right? They they wore the, these yellow, yeah, yellow and black striped leather. Like one person was like, it was kind of dangerous. And I was like, no, you look like bumblebees. That's not dangerous. <laughs> oh my gosh. But hey, you know what I mean? Hey, whatever works, right? It is golden. But um, yeah, they, so they were talking and all of this, and you're like, all right, but it was a couple of brothers that started this band. He, one of them was saying, it's like, yeah, so we were sitting in front of the TV and we heard this guy talking, Jimmy Swagger, Jimmy Swagger, a, a preacher. And they're like, oh man. And the whole family kind of bowed their heads and prayed with him and we all found God and blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, yeah, then, oh, as they got older, they're like, oh, you know, we love music and we, we started a band and then we were talking about God and blah, 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 you know, our lyrics and everyone loved it. You know, you're saying that MTV didn't want to play them, but because you could ring up and request music, so many people requested the music, they were at number one all the time on, on their play charts and all of this. And they were like headlining, you know, stadiums and just, it was crazy. They were blowing up. But one day they were watching Swagger because they loved Swagger. 
and he started to denounce them. He started to denounce them, hold up their records and be like, this is the devil's music. And it's just like, the hypocrisy of it all. That was the crazy thing. It was like, they're talking about this and it, and no one's just saying, the hypocrisy, right? The craziness of these statements saying it's devil's music and you shouldn't listen and all of that. But that caused the band to spiral, right? They were like, oh, we went to drink and we were getting crazy. It's just like, wait, what are you doing? Like, huh? And like, is it that fragile? Your supposed faith, right? It, 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 it just seemed odd. It seemed odd, but the, the questions weren't getting asked, which I, I thought was interesting. I was like, how come no one's is asking these people about these things? Being like, well, if you believe so much, how could your faith be rocked just because one person was saying they didn't like you? You know what I mean? I, 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 that, I find that interesting, right? And it's not a knock on the music or anything like that. It, it's just the perception of it all, or, or why it's being created, what what the, the, um, the aim is. Is you think it's like, I don't care. This is what we're doing. We, be, we believe we are, you know, putting this thing out, right? So there, there, there's that side of it, which was interesting, right? Then they were talking about Amy Grove, and man, as for, like, baby, baby, I'm headed for that notion. A love like this is given my devotion. How great is that song, man? I loved that song as a kid, you know what I mean? And, um, because at first, they're talking about Amy Grant, and it was funny. One of the guys was like, yeah, when she first started, like, you know, she had these songs. She couldn't really sing that well. And it's just like, yo, <laughs> what? <laughs> and it's a, that, that funny notion, because people believe that you need to sing in a certain way for you to sing well. And I always say, right, you, you look at people like Karen O, Jack White, you know what I mean? Um, Josh Hon. They don't have the perceived great voice. But their voices are so distinct. They're great, right? You know who they are as soon as you hear a note from them. Like these people who are like, supposedly trained, you know, you, you hear them on these silly singing shows, couldn't pick them out of a lineup, couldn't pick them out of a lineup, but this unique voices, that's great, but yeah, they're talking about Amy Grant, and I'm just like, for a minute, I'm like, huh, I'm not sure if this is the person I'm thinking, and I was like, was I thinking of Amy, Amy Millian, you know, the, the lead singer of Stars? Right? Huh, was I thinking of her? Was it Nico Case? Right? The new pornographers? I like I mean I, and then they played baby and I was like, oh yes, this this I knew I knew. I knew I knew. 
I'm doubting myself, man. I've been crazy. But yeah, so it, that was interesting. But then they started to turn on Amy. And you're like, what? You know, because she got divorced. And you're like, this is nuts. This is nuts. But she got divorced. Um, the guy she ended up with got divorced. They weren't having an affair or anything, but these two artists, they were married, marriages that weren't working. They got divorced and they eventually married each other and they're still together. But it's like they were meant to stay in these unhappy situations. You're like, wait, you're huh? Isn't your thing meant to be about you know, love and acceptance and being happy and, like, why would you want someone to stay in bad situations? Why would you turn on someone who you supposedly loved, right? There's all of this stuff that made no sense. You know, they're, they're talking about um, DC Talk, who I've never heard of, but were, like, this huge, huge group for a few years. And that was interesting because they're like, oh, we were arguing all the time. It's like, wait, but if you were all down with this bit, why are you arguing? Like, why is that getting in the way when you're hearing that no one's asking people these messages? And I kind of feel there's some people that were little prima donnas, right? Seemed like prima donnas. Because as it, as it started, we, we had people sitting down. There was these out these outtakes of people sitting down and be like, wait, hold on. Um, no, I'm not sitting. I can't sit like that or blah, blah, blah. And you're like, hmm, okay. <laughs> and it's, it's just super interesting, right? Now, also, the other person who I, I knew of, Kirk Franklin, you know, Stomp and just all of that. And just, I think, one of the big things is that Franklin was the one who always seemed to be there talking about acceptance and coming together and all of this. And it's just like, that's the thing, right? Because you're, you're singing about your love of God, about, you know, all of this. But what else, right? And Franklin was the one that seemed to epitomize the, the notion of Christianity the most. You know, it, it's just like there were some songs by Franklin that I really like. I don't like all of it, but that's cool. That's fine. You don't have to like everything someone does, you know, but you, you look at what they do and you'd be like, yeah, you're about it. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of people that pretend to be a thing, but they're not a thing. It's like as a kid, I remember going to Sunday school because, yo, those were the days when Sundays were dark. You know what I mean? Nothing was open. Nothing was... Like, you'd have corner shops allowed to be open in the morning. I think until, like, 11 o'clock or something like that, right? Nothing else. Nothing else was allowed open. And yet yeah, it's only until like 11, then it's locked off. So Sunday school was the only thing, right? You, you went, you hung out with your friends and you had to sit 
through a frigid survey, which is just like, <sighs> but as and kids, they let the kids out early, right? You didn't have to sit through the whole thing, which is like, <laughs> but the, the thing I always noticed, and which was just like, hey, I can't do this shit, man. It was the hypocrisy of it all. Because there was the people that would go, they're shitty for the rest of the week. You hear some of the racist bullshit some of these people would say, and then they go to church on a Sunday and they act like, hey, I'm better than you. You know, which is just insane. So it's always refreshing to see someone like Franklin. And the big thing as well was, there was all these artists who would be like, yo, I, you know, I, I always wanted a mentor, a role model, someone to kind of show me what to do, how to navigate all of this. And I reached out to people and no one would help. But then Kirk reached out. You know, Kirk supported me. Kirk helped me. Kirk opened these doors. He gave me the roadmap. And you're like, yo, that's a stand-up motherfucker right there. You know what I mean? And there's other people that just, you're just like, are you really about it? About it? I don't even know. Right? But yeah, it, it, it's just compelling seeing all of this stuff, seeing the, you know the people, the journeys these people had gone through. The journeys these people had gone on. There you go. <laughs> now, Michael C. Smith. Michael C. Smith. Is it Smith or Swift? Ugh. Uh, Michael W. Smith. I don't know where I got the C from, people. But he was talking about, um, you know, because they were saying a lot of them, they were doing this Christian music, talking about God, and then they went a little poppy, right, which some people hated. But then he was like, oh, and I... I I woke up in the middle of the night and I had this inspiration for this thing and God was telling me to create this worship album. And it was going to be like, so you got an idea. Because <laughs> that's the thing, right? Sometimes I've woken up with, you know, parts of a script or a joke or, you know, just something like that. You know, when I was at uni, my dissertation, you'd be like, Yo, that's how I'm going to start it. Oh, that's the middle part. And it's just like, no, it's not God <laughs> telling me. It's my mind working and working this shit out and be like, yo, that's what you need to do. But he's like, uh, but it's fine. But I kind of feel you're doing a discredit to your creativity. But, it, but still, though, it was just like he wanted to create this thing and he got everyone together and they did this thing. And you're like, yo, that's that's great though, right? That, that's big. You did you nice. But we got to see these stories, we got to see all of this and just the lifespans of some people and what they were able to achieve and do. So yeah, it is something I normally wouldn't have watched. But I ain't mad I did. You know what I mean? It was interesting. You know, it's interesting to see um, all of these different people and how they... There was one guy at the beginning, 
right? Um, I think his name was Larry, Larry something. And they were like, oh, yeah, he was just, um, you know, he get he would be super aggressive if you crossed him or, you know, he, he, if you didn't like something, he told you he didn't like it. And you're like, huh, that doesn't sound very Christian. <laughs> but no one would call anyone out on their actions and be like, yeah, you know. They were an arsehole. They made good music, but they were an arsehole, which that is a thing. That, that's allowed. <laughs> and I mean, what the thing was, you know, and, and I said, look, it, it's this whole thing about, you know, people turning on these artists for weird, all these weird reasons. And it's just like, you don't have to keep on mentioning God in your thing. Right, it, it could still be this thing without the. If you love Jesus, you'll love this song. Do do dee dum 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 dum. No, it, it it it's just like it's your actions, right? It's what you do. So you could be singing about a film you saw, or a book you like, just whatever, falling in love. But it's, you know, it's the sentiment of it all. That's the thing. So it just seemed weird how, yeah, people would turn on people and all of this. Because it's just like, doesn't seem to be the supposed Christian way. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. You know, you see these concerts and everyone, you know, gravitating and singing. But. It's a bit like, yeah, that's great. Because how great is it when you go to a gig and everyone is singing and chanting? Like the amount of times I've been to these things. I remember seeing Kasabian or Kaiser Chiefs and going, like leaving the spot, right? I I, I went to um, yeah, Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con, right? Froze my ass off. Because I didn't realize it was going to be cold in New York in February. <laughs> I went with t-shirts. I had no warm jackets or anything, man. But I, I touched back down in the UK and went to see uh, Kaiser Chiefs. And yeah, everyone is just singing. And at the station, everyone's just like back, like from the different platforms. People are like singing different lines of the songs. And it's incredible, right? And so, yeah, it, like seeing these big gigs, you're like, yeah, that's what a great concert is, man. But you get this insight, you get this look. So even if Christian music isn't for you, like, I think this is just an interesting music documentary just by itself, you know what I mean? So, yeah, like if you are Christian, if you do love Christian music, whether it be rock, folk, metal, whatever, the weird Christian rap, then I think you're going to love the Jesus music, you know? It, it does play it safe. It, as I said, look, they don't push people on things, but it's still interesting, man. So, yeah, you might want to give it a check. Okay, and we're going to win with something a little inspirational, people. 
time for 14 peaks. Nothing. Goddamn evils. Like, sometimes you watch things, right, that you just think, man, that, that really hits you, right? It, it kind of touches you. It connects with you. I mean, there's inspirational shit. And then there's 14 peaks. Nothing is impossible. So this film, this film is crazy. It's insane, right? It's the fearless Nepali mountainer, Nimsadi Persia, embarks on a seemingly impossible quest to summit all 14 of the world's 18,000 meter peaks in seven months. That's the thing, and you just be like, no, <laughs> of course not. Listen, I watched Free Solo and Dawn Wall, and when you hear the stories in those two films, and you see what it took to do those feats, right? You just look at this and be like, like this, this, what? <laughs> what? It just sounds insane, you know? Um, it's directed by Turquil Jones, who wrote the film with Gabriel Clark. It's produced by John McKenna, Barry Smith, Drew Masters, Catherine Quantashig, Mark Weber, and uh, Nimrod Punjab. Edited by Ian Gresh. Um, music is from Nanariti Desi. Um, and it's starring, well, Nimrod Pajari, right? Who goes by um, Nimsadi, right? That's his nickname. Um, his climbing team, which consisted of, um, well, just a few of them anyway. We had Ming Ma. Gabu, um, then there's Jel Jen, Lakpa Dendi, and Gesman Tamagang. Right, so um, I, we also had his wife, Suki Puja, um. And Renhold Mesner, who uh, is a very famous climber, people. Very famous climber. And there is a reason why he's very freaking famous. Now, I think one of the, the crazy things about this, right? So before this film, Tenzig Norgay was probably the most famous Nepali mountaineer that anyone knew and even his name not a lot of people know it right and the big thing about um Tenzing was 
he was with Edmund Hillary when they were the first two people to scale Mount Everest in 1953. Right now, everyone knows Edmund Hillary. Not many people know Tenzing Nogai, right? Which is insane because he helped Hillary climb that mountain as he was a, a Sherpa. And here's the crazy thing. So when you hear about people climbing mountains, you always hear about the Sherpas, right? And uh, I, I, there was, it was in one thing I remember watching, I don't know if it was mentioned maybe in Free Solo or I don't think it was mentioned in Dawn Wall. It might have been mentioned in Dawn Wall, but I know I've, I've watched it somewhere and they're talking about the Sherpas and the fact that they keep these mountains going, right? They manage Mount Everest for one, but the Sherpas are the people that scale the mountains, that put the guide ropes up so, you know, people can go do these you know where you see people do Kilimanjaro and yeah, there's always these charity events to climb mountains and all of this, right? It's always a team of Sherpas that help people do these things. But it's just Sherpa. There's no names, right? We don't know the Sherpas' names. They're never mentioned in that context. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just, yeah, the Sherpas Sherpas were there to help. And every year, Sherpas die doing these things, but don't get a mention. If a famous enough mountaineer was to die, they'll get a mention. Sherpas don't, right? Which is just, it's kind of foul. And, and you see, I don't even why I put kinder in front. It's straight up foul. <laughs> you know what I mean? And at the start of the film, right, we hear Nimsadij say, right, part of the reason for doing this is to inspire people, right, to inspire people, to show that, you know what I mean, Nepali people are just as great as European, um, you know, American of an international climbers. And I'm not going to lie, right? You hear that at the beginning of the film and you kind of think it's hyperboil. You know what I mean? It's just like, okay, you're doing it to inspire people. Okay. You know what I mean? It'd be like, to say you wanted to do it. That's it. You wanted to climb mountains, you climbed the mountains. Blah. That's what I thought at the start, right? Then you watch this thing and you're like, what? <laughs> what the fuck is happening? It's insane. So the idea is, um, yeah, as I said, look, to, to climb these mountains. And they were chosen because... They are the 14 highest summits in the world, being over 8,000 meters, which, 
I mean, that's just ridiculous, right? That's ridiculous. I climbed up Gross Point in Vancouver, and that was some crazy shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? I tripped. I bet. I, you know what I mean? It, it was insane. That was crazy. Um. So, yeah, I, I can't imagine... <laughs> Like, who are you doing these? Uh, and I thought about doing Kilimanjaro, right? I was like, yeah, you know what? I, I think I might do that shit. Then I was just a bit like, yeah, you know what? All these people do it. Ah, I don't really want to. And then then there's the other remembering I, I can hardly see. So it's just a bit like, yeah, that's kind of stupid. <laughs> it might be a stupid. I trip up walking in a straight line on flat ground so i'm just like yeah to climb up no i probably won't do that but this motherfucker decided to do 14 <laughs> 14 only 40 climbers have ever achieved this right 40 the first being reinhold mesner right who did it from um, 1970 to 1986. It took him 16 years. 16 years to do it. But he did it. And uh, the problem is, once you do something like that, then everyone's like, ah, oh, I'm going to beat him. I'm going to beat him. And that's what happened. <laughs> That's what happened a year later. So in 1987, Jesse um did it in seven years, 14 months. Right? Um, and then in 2013, that record was beaten by Kim Chang Ho, right, who did it seven years, 10 months, and eight days, right, it, it, it's just like, oh man, so, oh, just beat Jesse, just beat, but yeah, that's enough, right, that's enough to, to get in those books, so Nimsadi, his idea was to do it in seven months, right? Because seven months, that beats uh, Kim's record, you know? And um, he decided, because everyone was like, this is impossible. It's an, an impossible thing to do, right? We, we hear someone at the beginning of the piece say, normally, just to do one of these mountains, right? A normal person is going to take two months, Right, there's going to be all this planning and two months to climb the mountain itself. Not a day. <laughs> he was climbing mountains in a day. He was just like, no, no one will do that. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it, it's crazy, right? It is straight crazy, people. And um, yeah, but that that was the that was the task. 
that was a task at hand. And you just be like, boy, <laughs> this, it, it, it's impressive as hell. It's impressive as hell. So he started with Anna, Anna Puma, 8,091 meters, did that on the 23rd of April, 2019. Then it's um, um Junga. Right? Then it's Mount Everest. Then it's La Huist. Then he did Mal Makalu, right? And he did those three mountains in, I think, two days, which is insane. Then it's Nanga Parbat, Gesha Brum 1, Gesha Brum 2. Yeah, you know, they probably couldn't think of another name. <laughs> K2, which I think is the tallest out of all 8,611 meters. Broad Peak. Chu Oyu. Uh, Manslul. And it ended with Shishpangma, which, uh, oh man, th that was a, a, just a crazy story in itself. You know what I mean? Just, just doing that one, right? So, um, yeah, he he was able to do these mountains, um, just in a, just a crazy amount of time you know what I mean? like he, he started in um april april the 23rd was when the, the first mountain was scaled and he then finished in october right all it did it all in 2019 which is insane so yeah started on the 23rd of april and then finish in Nepal, right? And finished on the 29th of October in China. <laughs> so this mountain range, it was like these mountains were in Nepal, Pakistan, and that last mountain was in China. And here's the thing, right? So being 8,000 meters high, they call it the death zone. Sound enticing? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, just the thought of climbing mountains 8,000 meters high. That's one thing. You'd be like, hey, you know, it's like, oh, I, I, I feel I can do it. And then you'd be like, wait, they call it the death zone? <laughs> what? They call it the death zone because of the altitude right it's you you are breathing a i think it's they said like a third 
of the amount of oxygen that humans need to survive. That's, that's the thing. <laughs> so, 8,000 meters high. They call it the death zone. And then you find out you're breathing a third of your required amount of oxygen, which is just like, nah. <laughs> I, I, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. And this is it. So we, you hear all of this and then you're like, yeah, maybe that stuff at the beginning isn't hyperboil, right? But we also, with this, we get an insight into Nimsadi himself. And you realize this dude was just straight up gangster. So his dad was a Gurkha. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. He became a Gurkha. And if you don't know, the Gurkhas are an elite an elite military force who helped out the UK, helped out England in the in the war, right? They they're legendary, right? The Gurkhas. You say Gurkha, and you're like, people know what the fuck Gurkhas are, right? Was a Gurkha. And then he's just like, you know what? This ain't enough. So he applied and was the first, the first Nepali to become a special forces um, operative for the UK. Which just getting into that, it, that's insane. Like he was the first man, the first. And here's the thing. You you think, right, that that's crazy enough. And we see some footage of him jumping out planes and just other stuff. We then find out that he nearly died. There's a point where he nearly died doing this. So you just like, any normal person would think, I think I've used up my luck, Right? was a Gurkha for, I think it was like eight years, special forces for six years. You're thinking, might have done all my luck in this period of time. But no, <laughs> he decided to start climbing. And the crazy thing as well, right? So I mentioned Free Solo and Dawn Wall. Well, in when you watch those documentaries, is it, it's Alec Hammond, and I forget the dude from uh, Dawn Wall, but they're talking, right? And they're like, yeah, we, we started climbing as kids. You know, we picked it up at a very young age and all this. Nimsadi started climbing in 2012. That was the first time on a mountain. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then he did this in 2019. Seven years later, that that is straight up bananas. Now, obviously, being a Gurkha, right, being special forces, you do crazy stuff. 
you do crazy stuff and you also kind of feel that living in Nepal right being born there that does something to you you know what I mean because it's just living at that altitude right and it shows because we see him at the altitude center in London where he's just doing these tests which other people they're like yeah we've had elite triathletes <laughs> mean ultra marathon runners all them crazy people think Cameron Haynes David Goggins the likes of that now I don't know if they've tried these tests so I'm but I'm just saying imagine that type of person right but the altitude center they're saying that these people struggle to do that test struggle so we see what kind of person Nim Sadi is like if the Gurkha, the special forces ain't enough. And you see this and you're like, yo, what? And so we get to see this, this challenge and the way they went about it, right? Because as I said, look, most climbers, they're using ropes, guidelines and all of that that have been set up before them. They were putting in their own lines. They were putting in their own line. So they're carrying huge backpacks just full of it. And they're using oxygen uh, at a point on the mountains, which they were getting dogged for. This is insane. They're getting dogged for using oxygen for some of it. Didn't use it for all of it. Some of it, they use oxygen. And the thing is, right, when you look at this, it's like most climbers, two months to do one of these mountains, they were doing mountains in a day, sometimes less than a day. So obviously you're going to have to use, to be able to do it at that pace, there's no, we're going to set up camp and we're going to sleep. and No, they're just, boom, kicking it, kicking it. So you see all of this, you see all of this, and you're just in awe, you're in awe of everything that happened, right, it, it was just to get the thing started in the first place, we see what went into that, and it's crazy, it's straight crazy, but it's this attitude this never say die this hey we're gonna do this man and the way he inspired his team was crazy right but the other great thing was he he, he had a team of all Nepali climbers right a, a, a few Sherpas and he, he gave all of them recognition Right, but it was like to show that hey, Nepali climbers are just as good as any other climbers in the world, man. And they got man, it's when they got to K2, all these people were giving up, all these people were giving up because he'd, he'd have people, different groups of people meet him on each mountain to, to help with the climb and all of this, and um. This, this group was on K2, and as I said, look, they were giving up. But we see him inspire these people. 
it it was just incredible to watch right there was one woman and she was saying right ah uh, you know people told me it, it, it's gonna be 50 50 if you make it or die if you go with him and i've got two kids and i thought to myself i you know i don't know if i want to take this risk and it's just like I'm, i remember hearing that and just thinking yo kid just climbing in general, you are taking a risk. So to be like, I've got two kids and blah, blah, blah. You're climbing. It's the amount of climbers that die each year. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like these mountains, there's, what do you call it? <laughs> slides. Uh, ice slides. Oh man, there's an actual word for it. Avalanche. <laughs> there's avalanches and all of them. So yeah, you're putting your life just on a general basis. But you know what I mean? I would climb with Nimsadi. Because I would believe, I would believe that we were doing this shit. Right? And the other incredible thing about this, so we're watching this documentary and we're seeing him do these things. But then there's more because his mum is ill. His mum is ill. Like, seriously ill. And you're just thinking, to be able to do these mountains in this short a period of time, you need maximum focus. So imagine doing it, knowing someone you love with all your heart is ill and could die that that's insane because you're thinking that must be fucking with your focus right but he still did it still did it and as i said i mentioned at the start right he we, we see his wife a lot you know talking and everything like that and i've got to say right just the feat of climbing this doing this was inspirational but then to see the belief his wife had in him right to see that god damn god damn like you watch you know there's all these films and things right which are showing relationships and it always feels just this fakeness but seeing these two right seeing this support system this love you're just like i want that <laughs> you know what i mean it just makes you feel like fuck oh man is someone that just is ride or die for you Someone that will support you like that? Fuck, man. I want that. Right? That, that, that's what you're kind of imagining. It, it's crazy. But yeah, th this whole story is, is insane. Because as well as climbing these mountains, <laughs> they filmed it. Right? They filmed over a hundred hours of footage which 
does explain a lot, right? Because I'm thinking, how the fuck is the director getting all of this? You know what I mean? You're just like, how is this happening? But no, they 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 filmed a lot of it, and then the director, Turco Jones, he he captured all the other footage we see and did the interviews and all of this kind of stuff. There's a nice little animation in here as well. It's a very well put together documentary. And there's this one moment on um, Everest where he's like, oh, yeah, so I, I did, and you see the cues, right? I don't know why people do Everest because it just looks so unappealing, right? Because it's not like you're climbing at your own. There's just literally uh, people are nose to the head, back of the head, nose back of the head waiting to get up this mountain and climbing at this slow pace with all these other people. And then once you get to the top, it's a cue to take a photo. And then it's this whole thing to try and get down the mountain. And he takes his photo of this cue. And I was like, I remember that goddamn photo. Right? We, We spoke about it on Echoes from the Void, about how insane this was all these people going up the mountain and the fact yeah and we i think that's where i got the sherpa information because i just remember at the time right all these people doing everest but the sherpas get no recognition for it and it's insane but yeah i i remember seeing that but was never credited to him in the footage that i saw of that and that this that was a big thing, right? Because he's like, if this was a European doing this challenge, so much of the press would cover it. And I've got to say, he's right. Because one big thing about Dawn Wall and Free Solo was all the press covering it. All the press covering it. So you're just like, I, I can't believe can't believe people didn't give it the same recognition because this is a crazier thing right and it's not to say what was done in those other two pieces wasn't death-defying wasn't crazy because it it was but when you compare these challenges and when i say compare i'm talking about when you look at the time an experience of climbing. Nim Sadi, as I said, seven years. Got on a mountain, first time, 2012. So for me, this, just even if you had just done one, right, or three of these, you'd be like, that's so impressive. But then to do 14, the 14 highest peaks in the world? Yo, that is insane. It, it, it is straight up insane. And here's the other thing about it, right? By doing all of this, he broke records, right? So obviously, fastest ascent of all 14, 8,000 feet mountains right and 
remember, right? He he wanted to do it in seven years, in in seven months. Sorry, you know what he did it in six months and six days. And to be honest, kind of feel it it would have probably been six months, right? If there wasn't the the craziness that we see at the end of the film. Right, so, but six months, six days. Just wonder, like, I don't know if anyone can beat that. That's insane. He also got fastest ascent of the five highest um, mountains, which he did in 70 days. Right, the previously, it was four years. Right, four years. Which is, yeah, insane. He also did the fastest triple header of Everest, Labat, and Makalu. Two days and 30 minutes. That's what I mean. Less than a day to do Mount. Like, those three, two days and 30 minutes. <laughs> and it was his record that he broke. Right, which he set in 2017. <clears throat> so, th this is just remarkable. It, it is a remarkable feat, people. It really is. It, it, you, you're just flabbergasted by it all. By it all. And, yeah, as I said, look, I take back what I thought. Because that, what we hear him say at the bit, it's not hyperboil. Because that was some inspiring shit. It was super inspiring. Because you just see him persevere. You see him persevere and you just think to yourself, yeah, anything could be possible. Anything could be possible. And as I said as well, that relationship he has with his wife, if you don't want that, you are straight crazy, people. <laughs> you are straight crazy. So, if you have not watched it, I highly, I highly recommend you go check out 14 Peaks. Nothing is impossible because it's, it's going to change your perspective on everything. Right, 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 people, we are coming to a close on part one of this week's Echo Chamber. But before we bounce, let's take a look and see what's happening in the world of film. Okay, so we've got a new animated piece coming from Universal Pictures, and it's being directed by Josh Greenbaum. Um, and written by Dan Hermit. Uh, the film is called Strays, right? And it is going to have um, Will Farrell, Jamie Foxx, and Will Forte 
amongst its uh, voice cast, right? It's a, a live action CG hybrid, and it follows an abandoned dog who teams up with other strays to get revenge on his nasty former owner. Um, yeah. So um, it's said to be an adult comedy. So yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see what they do with that one. Kind of reminds me of a um, man, it was, I think it was a Disney one about a puppy and he was um trying to find his way home. Yeah, see, I can't think of the name, man, but something adventure, puppy's adventure, something, something. So um, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know why I mentioned that, people, but yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> now, um, yeah, musicals seem to be the thing, right? I mean, West Side Story is just about to drop, and um, yeah, we're getting another one. Uh, this is coming through Amazon Studios with the help of Black Male Productions and Davis Entertainment. It's going to be called up properly, right? It is being um, produced by Malcolm D. Lee, right? Who may very well direct the piece. Um, it's being written by Marcus Bradley. Uh, John Davis and John Fox are producing it. Right, and uh, basically, the story follows a group of men who return to West Philadelphia for a 20 year high school reunion and eventually find hope, redemption, and a new understanding of the enduring power of friendship. So, it kind of sounds like Brothers, right? Which was a 90s piece, not a musical, but and that was set around a wedding. Kind of sounds like a similar thing, yeah, calling it Brothers. I mean, not very original, but the hook on this one, as I said, musical people, so they are using Boys to Men as the musical backdrop. Yes. I mean, Boys to Men are great, right? End of the road, I'll make love to you. You know, they, they burst on the scene with Motown, big beat back again, doing a little East Coast swing. You know what I mean? So, hey, I love the music. I might give it a look just for that, but we will see. Please. Um, so, I think we talked about this, right? Because, I mean, it's all up in the news, but she's, she's been in... I don't even know if the case is ending because shit. <laughs> Sometimes you've got better things to do. But um, Elizabeth Holmes, right, who conned all them rich idiots out of money with Baranos. Baranos? I thought that's what it's called. You know what I mean? Hailed as the female. Uh, oh, like Steve Jobs. I nearly forgot Obi's name. But yeah, they. um. They're making a film about it, and Apple has just picked it up, right? It's being directed by Adam McKay, um, who, you know, he, he's, he's, you know, made films like um, The Big Short, so this is kind of in his wheelhouse, kind of feel, right? 
and it's going to be starring Jennifer Lawrence, right? Who um, is going to be playing uh, Holmes, right? It's based on um, John Carew's book, um, and uh, yeah. It's uh, yeah, following basically Holmes who set up Pharaohs, which was uh, meant to test blood and did not. <laughs> it did not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is a problem. It is a big fucking problem. You know what I mean? So uh, it'll be interesting how they handle that. Hopefully, they don't make her out to be a victim. Of the system, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we will see. Um, so coming off the success of old M. Night Shyamalan has a new film in the works called A Knock at the Cabin. So not much is being revealed about the film other than um they it's not been written yet, <laughs> right? But They've, they've given it a release date of the 3rd of February 2023, which I always find amusing because so many things could come up to stop that shit from happening. Now, what we do know is, though, Dave Batista is going to be in the film. So, um, hey, Batista is very easy getting around. He's really putting it out there. So, um, good for him. Let's hold a book. Yeah, I mean, because he didn't—he's not—he wasn't known for saying much in WWF, right? In WWE. Um, so yeah, the fact that he has grown into this actor, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's a not bad thing to see, right? So, um, hey, a little while back, earlier in the year, we talked about Cleopatra, the new um. The telling of a story coming from Paramount Pictures, and the big thing about it was Gal Gadot playing Cleopatra, which still kind of fucked, right? Kind of fucked, especially because old Gadot was one of them motherfuckers who put out that imagined atrocity at the start of 2020. You know what I mean? And now she's there, it's just like. Do some people not see their own hypocrisy? You know what I mean? But at the time, the, the news was because she, she was teaming up with Paddy Jenkins to make this film. Well, Paddy is stepping aside, right, um, from directing it so she can focus on Wonder Woman 3. So she's still going to be involved. She's going to be a producer. But in step. Um, Carrie Scoglin, right, who killed it on Falcon and Winter Soldier, right, so we know she can do her thing, so yeah, we'll see what she does with this, you know, um, and maybe they will, yeah, bring someone else in for Cleopatra, we will have to see. So, um, another teaming of buddies is Paul Verhoeven and Edward Lumiere, right? So they worked together on um, 
uh, Roland Cop and Starship Troopers, you know, the Ozen directed Lumiere Road, right? And they've got a new piece coming called Young Sinner, right? So the gist of the story is set in Washington, D.C., and follows a young female starter who works for a powerful senator and is drawn into a web of international intrigue and danger. And of course, there is sex, right? Um, now, this is from Lumiere's mouth, so uh, there you have it. Now, the hovers, the hover, the hover. There we go. There we go. Um, so he's saying it's a political espionage piece, right? And he also says it's going to draw on, um, you know, shit from previous films, right? Um, you know, saying adding all kinds of, yeah, you know, uh, they're not going to be adding um, all kinds of digital elements as little as possible. Um, and it will, yeah, like play into some of the previous kind of stuff, like basic instincts. It will have an element of that in the piece. And to be honest, that's not really a shock because how many crazy scandals have we heard from Capitol Hill? Right? All, all, all these things. Look, when you hear about them, you kind of think. It sounds like a fucking plotline in a in a song like Dallas Dallas or Dynasty, you know what I mean? <laughs> Sunset Beach. But it's true. So yeah, I, I, I kind of feel that Ozen has really been able to play that political kind of um what am I trying to think of the word here? Uh, commentary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this Robert and the Sergeant Troopers both had that in it. So it'll be interesting to see what Young Sinners gives to us. You know what I mean? Okay. And let's end with a few Disney stories. So there's a new um, animation coming up from the House of Mouse. It's called a Strange World, right? And it's going to be an original, original story, right? Uh, it centers on the legendary Clades, C L A D E S, Clades. I thought it's Clades, right? A family of explorers whose differences threaten to topple their latest and most critical mission. A journey deep into an uncharted and treacherous land where fantastical creatures are fate. Dan Hall is directing. Um, and he and it's getting written by Quay Nation and um, and it's being produced by Roy Conley, right? So it, it, it's paid, they say it's paying homage to pulp magazine stories. So I'm thinking like Fanzetta and Heavy Metal and um, stuff like that, you know what I mean? Which, uh, yeah, I'm about that. They they say it's going to get dropped Thanksgiving time next year. 
So it looks like I'm going to be moving fast on that one. Now, Shang-Chi just recently dropped on Disney Plus. Yes, yes. And um, yo, we've got some big news, people. We've got some big news. Well, it's not expensive. It's been out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Let's not get it twisted. But then Destin Daniel Cretton has signed um, a big exclusive with Disney, which entitles all those entities. So Disney, Marvel, Hulu, may even see fucking around in the Star Wars universe, you know what I mean? Who knows? But part of this is, obviously, Shang-Chi Chu, Shang-Chi Shang Chu. About <laughs> and also a, um, a TV series in the MCU, right? So no word on that, but I wonder what it could be. Um, maybe Daughters of the Dragon, something along those lines. Now, I say that because of Shang-Chi. It doesn't have to be martial arts or you know, mystical related at all. It could be something very much grounded. Who knows? But I'm excited. I'm excited to find out, people. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, we will have to wait and see. And finally, now, I feel a lot of people have hoped for this and it has finally been confirmed by um, the, the head honcho of Marvel Studios old Kevin Feige himself and that is people two things firstly Daredevil will be coming to the MCU okay yes 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 and Ben Affleck will be playing. No. <laughs> I got you, motherfucker. No, of course not. Charlie, Charlie Cox is going to be reprising his awesome performance from the Netflix series in the MCU. How great is that? So, nothing has been confirmed on his entrance, right? Supposedly, there's there may have been a, a, a quick sighting in Hawkeye. I haven't watched it yet, so I'm talking you know, people. I'm waiting for it all to drop, then I'm gonna watch it and bring it to you. But yeah, supposedly there may have been a little glimpsy glimpsy in that, but uh, yeah. Daredevil's coming, baby. And you kind of feel, right? Because Faith had this to say. Um, if you want, if you were to see Daredevil in upcoming things, Charlie Cox, yes, would be the actor playing Daredevil. Where we see that, how we see that, when we see that, remains to be seen. It's a lot of seed and seed, right? Which seems a bit mean because Daredevil is blind, right? But I do feel, now there is word that he may shark in No Way Home, but I've got to say this. I don't believe we'd be talking about this unless something is definitely cooking in the kitchen, people. So, uh, you know, you know, I'm definitely excited. So, uh, yeah, people, Woo-hoo-hoo! man, awesome. But that's it. But 
part one. Go check out part two and we will see you there.